mean, it's good. Okay, anyway, great. Obviously wasn't listening to your response or what I was saying, my, by the way. Um, I hope everybody's doing all right. If you're visiting with us for the first time, my name is Philip Brandon. I'm the pastor here. Jonathan is the, uh, the guy that just led worship, and um, so that is his name, so you at least know, you know who, who we are. Um, <clears throat> last week, a, um, a lady in the neighborhood stopped by, and um, she had lost her cat. And she's looking for this cat, and I have a picture of it this morning. Um, I just happened to see this, and uh, if you if you happen to see this cat, just uh, let us know, and we'll let them know. She says it's a wild cat that just kind of walks around a little bit, and um, so so that's it. His name is Todd. Um, so if if you if you see the see the cat, just say Todd, and Todd might come to you. Um, the last time we saw him um, was around this family and their dog Copper uh, is where where we found that. Um, in fact, the last time we actually saw Copper didn't have a girlfriend and Todd did. Um, it's a very encouraging story. That somehow, yeah, there you go. A little silliness this morning. Um, last week, we did a message on the prodigal son, and we did the whole thing. It was just a lot packed in one sermon. Um, after that sermon, I just started praying, and I thought, you know, there's a couple of things I would just like to unpack further. So some of the stuff that you're going to hear today is going to be kind of reflection on what we talked about last week, but I just want to unpack it because there's some concepts that I think that we need to be clear on before we move forward in this series. So, so this isn't, you know, I normally plan my sermons up, you know that, but this one, this one is just an extension of that particular um, sermon. So if you'll turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15. Be great. Luke chapter 15. So the, the first thing I want to discuss is what lost means in this passage. Very fast last week, I think it was, to me it was confusing, so if I'm confused, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. So, so lost. There's two types of lost people in this passage of Scripture. In fact, you could even break it down into subcategories, but there's two basic ones. One is people that have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're unsaved. Next screen. Yeah. Lost in this passage includes those who are unsaved. Now, if you're brand new to church, you've never heard of the prodigal son story, you don't even know what we are talking about when it comes to lost, and you don't understand what unsaved actually means, this is what it means. It means that there are people in the world that have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Of course, if you've never heard that before, you're like, what in the world is going on with that? What is it about Jesus? What is it about the Savior? This is what it's about. Everybody that has ever been born is a sinner. And they have sinned against a holy God. That God holds everybody accountable for the sins that they commit. In other words, if you commit a sin, he's going to hold you accountable to be punished for that sin. So you... We are all born into existence without a relationship with the God that created us. So we, we are very sinful. Saved means that we have come to the place in our lives 
where we realize that we are sinners and we have done wrong and we have have wronged people, we've wronged our parents, we've we've just lied, we've we've done things that are basically incorrect. Then somebody in our lifetime, and this might be the very first time you've ever heard this in your entire life. This may be the time where you've heard this several times. Somebody comes along and they say this. There is a God that created you, that loves you, even though you are in your sin and can't have a relationship with you. He loves you. And what he did is 2,000 years ago, he became flesh, a man, and dwelt among us. At that point, it's kind of odd, but listen to the story. It's just, it's just absolutely true, and it's absolutely incredible. He became a man so that he would be just like you. The only difference is he was perfect, perfect in every way. He never sinned. And he lived his life and allowed the people that rejected him to nail him to the cross and shed his blood to take your punishment for the sins that you committed, he took them on his shoulders and paid the price for you. He took your punishment on the cross of Calvary. He died on that cross, and they buried him in a tomb. If you were to go to that tomb today, the good news is he's not in that tomb because three days later, he rose again. And he lives now in heaven, and this is a period of time where he's just waiting for you to take the opportunity to ask forgiveness from your sins and to ask him to be your savior so that you can one day live with him in heaven. He is waiting. It's called grace. It's called mercy. And he is waiting for you to accept him as your savior so that you can have a relationship with the God that created you and so that you do not have to go through the punishment that you deserve for your sins. You see, what is fair is that you and I were to die and go to the lake of fire and pay the punishment for our sins for eternity. That is what's fair. What is unfair is that Jesus Christ, the perfect man of God, took our punishment on the cross for our sins. God did the unfair thing because he loved you enough that he wanted you to be with him in heaven. That is lost. That is lost. And in this passage of scripture, it starts at the very beginning with Jesus eating with sinners. The perfect man that came to dwell among us, the God man that came to dwell among us, ate with sinners. And the reason he ate with sinners is because he wanted them to spend an eternity with him in heaven one day. He knew the only way for them to get to heaven was to believe in him. So he spent time with them to show that he loved them. And that's an amazing thing. So one thing about lostness in this passage of scripture is people that are unsaved, that have never prayed the prayer to receive Jesus as their savior. That's one type of lostness. The second type is a little different. It has to do with believers. And it also has to do with religious people. I need to be very, very clear on this one too. Next. Lost in this passage includes someone who has lost their way. There's two types of people. Believers that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but somehow or another they've lost their way. They've lost their way and they've started doing some things that they think is right, but it's not really right. And they're lost and they don't know it. 
They think that they're right in what they're doing. They think that their path feels good and it's the right way to go, but it's really not. And they've heard people talk to them and all this kind of stuff, but they're lost and they don't know it. Then the second group is people that are religious. Now, I want to kind of do this with this. There are some religious people that are saved. There are some religious people that are not saved. Okay? They're, they're religious. And what I mean by religious is they have some type of, of rule system that you have to go through to be a good Christian. If you were to go to the side where I grew up on, the side that I, I grew up, and my church has changed over time, but grew up on, it would be things as crazy as women should always wear dresses because only men wear pants. By the way, let me pause to say, the, the guy that said that has never put on a pair of women's jeans. I know if you know this or not, they're made different. Okay, that's enough of that. That there's only one Bible that you can, you can have in your possession. And they will pick a translation. There isn't a translation that we have currently that Paul used in his day. There isn't. Paul wrote the Bible. The people in the Bible in the New Testament wrote their text by inspiration by God the Father and the Holy Spirit in Greek. In the Old Testament, those people that wrote it, by inspiration by the Holy Spirit, wrote that in Hebrew. Those are original manuscripts. You and I would not be able to know anything in the Word of God unless there were some Christians that decided to translate it into our language. So what has happened is over time, people have translated the Bible into, lang into our language. And look, there are good translations and there are translations that you really should not read. I mean, there, there are those. But the great thing is that we have an abundance of translations where we have the Word of God and we can read it, right? And so, so some people have this, this list. Some people have a list of, of different other things. It's what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, and it's not in the Bible. Those are just religious people. Those are religious rules, okay? Then, then there's believers that just know that all we're supposed to do is really try our best to live for Jesus and do exactly what the Bible says and try to make that a part of our lives. Is everybody tracking with me? I mean, that is what a believer is. So there are religious people that are lost, and some of the reason they're lost is because of their rules and regulations. Some, some of it's because they feel good, because they've checked the box, they come to church, they came to Bible study, they've given, they, they gave food to the food pantry, and they're checking all these boxes. But those boxes do not mean a hill of beans when it comes to salvation. It doesn't. The only thing that can save you is Jesus Christ and believing on his name and who he is. So there are lost people in this passage. Jesus is eating with sinners. And then there's religious leaders that are listening to what he is saying. And these are religious leaders that have a list of rules that you're supposed to abide by in order to be a good believer. And what Jesus is saying that this list of rules is not in the Bible. That's what he's trying to get across to them. And that the most important thing that they can do is actually their job in trying to bring people to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that are lost. Okay? 
I believe that religious people have good intentions, but they're just lost. I believe that believers have good intentions and they want to follow Jesus, but sometimes they go astray because we are human. And I believe that there are lost people that need to ask forgiveness for their sins and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and begin that relationship with Him. And of the three categories, I'm more concerned with this one. This one than I am the others. So that is lost. Now, if you're here, you never heard the story before, I'm just going to tell it to you real quick. There's two, two sons. The youngest son comes to the father and says, Hey, I want my inheritance. In other words, he's basically saying, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. He takes his inheritance. He sells all the property. The people in the village are not that happy with him. He leaves the village and goes out on his own. And now he has a lot of money. He's young with a lot of money. So he spends it. And he does not spend it wisely at all. And as soon as he's out of his money, as he's lived reckless, he's out of his money, he gets to the place where there's a famine in the land and he has to get a job that he wishes that he never had to get. And that is herding pigs and feeding pigs. It's a nasty job. You smell bad, their food smells bad, and you just it's just not a good, good job. While he is there, he, wow. While he is there, he comes to himself, right? And, and he says, man, I, this is not the way to live. I have lived incorrectly. I'm going to go back to my father's house, and I'm going to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. Can you just hire me as a hired hand? That's the lowest of low in his, far, in his father's house, lowest of low positions that he could ask for. So he goes back to his father. When he goes back to his father, his father is looking for him in the village. His father runs out to him and embraces him and accepts him and says, bring the best robe. And when he says that, he's saying, bring the best clothing that I have and put it on my son. And so he puts it on his son and they have this feast. They kill a fatted calf. That means they're inviting the whole village to the party. Because the father's so excited. And so the music starts playing, which means that the fatted calf is ready to eat at least part of it. I don't know which part would be ready first. I guess if you wanted a medium rare steak, it would be that would be first. And then the well done stuff would come later maybe. Right, Jimmy? Hamburgers would be later. Right, Jimmy? They would have to ground the hamburger, right? Yeah, I got you. Okay. I hear you. So anyway, they do it, and the music starts playing, so all these people come. Well, it's, it's later in the evening that day, and, and the older brother and all the workers are coming in from the field, and the older brother comes up to the edge of where his house is, and there's a bunch of kids just kind of sitting out there, you know, rocking to the music, doing whatever kids did that day. I don't know what they would play with. Um, it definitely wouldn't be like this. It would be something else. And so he, he grabs one of the kids and he says, hey, what's going on? And the kid tells him that his brother's home and there's a party. But the older brother, instead of going into the party, runs to the field. And he stays in the field a while until the father comes and tries to get him to go back into the party. And you're left at the end of the story wondering if the older brother is actually going to go back into the party or is he just going to stay out in the field and, and do his little thing. So with that background, 
now that we're there, I want you to look at verse 11 of chapter 15. This is at the very beginning of the story. I want to to show you this. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The older brother in this scenario is silent. He is there, but he is silent. Now, you might not realize this or not, but in that culture, it was the older brother that if there was any tension between any of the younger siblings, between them and the father, it was his job to reconcile that sibling to their father. This older brother is silent and will not do his job. For some reason, he doesn't like the older brother. For some reason, the younger brother, maybe he just thinks this is ridiculous. Or maybe he just wants his part of the inheritance too. And he wishes that his dad was dead. I don't know. I don't know which one it is. But he is silent and he will not do his job. I'll submit to you this morning that religious people do not do their job. They're too busy with rules. They're too busy with regulations. They're too busy pushing traditions. They're too busy doing stuff like that. They're too busy being religious to be concerned with the one that needs to be reconciled with the Father. Come on. And sometimes religious people are lost because they think they're justified in the way that they're thinking, but they're not doing the job that they've been called to do. They're not doing the job to reconcile this person to the father. So here's here's the brother. He's already lost and he doesn't know it. Let me share this with you. He was lost but didn't think he was because he was still living at the house with his father. How many people come to church and they think they're saved just because they come to church? They think they're saved just because they they keep a set of rules. You are not saved because you come to church. You're not saved because you keep a set of rules. You're saved because you have pleaded with Jesus to be your Savior because you're a sinner. That's why you're saved. He was lost while he was thinking he was better than the younger brother. How many religious people come to church and think that they're better than the other people in the church because their lives are more holy than the lives that the other people are living? Those are religious people that are lost and they don't know it. They are focusing on the minute details of someone else's sin without reflecting on their own. You see, at any given moment, I can bring Nicole up here and tell you everything that's wrong with her. And if you had a few days, because women use more words, I could bring her up here and she could tell you everything that's wrong with me. Right? And we could point back and forth. But in that relationship, when that relationship is working, it is when I am looking at myself, trying to walk with Jesus Christ myself and leading her to do the same. And when it works the best, it's when she's not pointing out my faults, but she is indeed trying to work on herself and follow the Jesus Christ and trying to encourage me to do the same. So you never, you never win when you point fingers like that. You always win when you work on yours 
and you try to lead the other in the way that they should go. He was lost while thinking he was better than the younger brother. You cannot think that you're better than your spouse. You cannot think that you're better than other people in the church and not be lost. If you grasp salvation, what you understand is that you are a sinner saved by grace, and so is that person that you have a problem with. There used to be an old um, song my dad and a lady that's gone to be with the Lord now used to sing, and it was, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And anytime you think you're better than someone else, you just need to think about the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I'm really no better than they are. Really no better than they are. He was lost while thinking he was better than the younger brother. Okay, so let's continue. Um. Verse 28 says this. But he was angry. This is the older brother. This is after the father came out. He was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. He was angry and refused to go out. Now, what I want to talk to you about right now is I want to talk to you about the difference between complaint and concern. Two totally different things, okay? Is everybody with me? All right. So, first, people that are lost, I think this is the next screen, send their messages in hurtful ways. The older brother who thinks that he's okay, who thinks that he's holy, who thinks that he's better than his younger brother is sending a hurtful message to his father. He's also sending a hurtful message to his brother, both of which he is supposed to be reconciling to try to get together. He should be excited that they're actually back together again. He should go to the party. But no, he does his dad dishonor. He does his brother's dishonor by staying out in the field. People that are lost send their messages in hurtful ways. They hurt people. That is what a complainer does. You want to know what a complainer does? A complainer hurts people with their words. A complainer hurts people with their actions. That's what they do. Now... I need somebody that can spell and write big and is okay being on stage. So most of the people are products of the public school system. Just kidding. <laughs> Just we, we have, can you write big? Uh, come on up. Come on up. This is Farmington Baptist Church's spelling bee. The good news is you're the only one left. Okay? So you're going to write on this one first, okay? And I might get you to erase some of the words once it gets filled, okay? And then this one's going to be second. So this is going to be, this going to be complaint, and this is going to be concern. You're a bright guy, so I think, I think you get that. You ready? All right. Great. Awesome. I will use my notes as to make sure that we are using the correct 
ready? Okay. Here we go. 28. I'm going to read it again. But he was angry and refused to go in. Okay. Verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. A complaint is selfish. Good. Control. Because it's about control. And then you can put rights. And it's about your rights. In this verse of scripture, it says, he, But he answered his father, Look, these many years I, 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 I have served you. I, I, I have never disobeyed you. He's selfish. He wants control because this is a party that's outside of his control. And he has rights because he has served his father. He has a right. He had a right. He has a right. This is against my rights. Selfishness. I have a right to do what I want to do. If you have that attitude, you're lost and you don't know it. If you have concerns that your rights are being violated, I'm not talking, I'm talking rights are being violated. You are probably lost and don't know it. If you are about control and you can't control this and you need to be in control and when you're not in control, you pout and run to a field and kind of turn your back on your family because you can't be in control of what's happening, you might be lost and don't know it. You might be lost and don't know it. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my life. It's all about my path. It's all about where I want to go. It's all about what I want to manipulate and move. If you are that person that always wants to get your way, you might be lost and you don't know it. This might be an easier way for you to understand this. If at Christmas you think of what you want for Christmas before what you're going to get other people, you might be lost and you don't know it. If you come up to an anniversary and you're hoping that your spouse is going to get you this particular thing and you have not thought about what you are going to give them, you might be lost and you don't know it. Do you understand? You might be lost and you don't know it if you're selfish, your control, and rights. We can erase those. And then what I want you to put up there is accusations. That's a bigger word. Okay? Accusations. Verse 29 says this. But he answered his father and said, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Let me translate this for you. You're a bad, bad father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And you're unfair with me. You're a bad, bad father. Bad, bad father. You need to give me a goat. Right? Bad. Bad. When you are complaining, it is not about what's going on. It is about trying to make that person feel like dirt. And you use your words to do it. You are lost and you don't know it when you tear people down with your words. Every single time. 
every single time. And this guy is saying, you, you, you. And he doesn't stop there with these accusations. He says, but when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Now that statement is half true. There's nowhere in the story where we know that this kid actually was with prostitutes. Not at all. We do know he devoured the property, so it's a half-truth. When you start devying up half-truths, but you really think they're true, you are lost and you don't know it. You're pulling things out of thin air. Oh, he must have done this over here because that's what they do, right? You have made an assumption, and the assumptions are the lowest form of knowledge. And assumptions, it's amazing how quickly in our minds assumptions become fact. And then we speak them into existence. And we are demonstrating that we are idiots because we didn't get the facts before we actually spoke it into existence. Assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. There is no way that anybody in this room can know what the next person next to them is actually thinking at this moment. If you are married, like I am, to a woman, and if you're a woman married to a man, because that's how it rolls, there's no way that I know what Nicole is thinking at a given moment, and you could testify to this as well. She doesn't know what I'm thinking. Nobody knows what I'm thinking at a given moment. There's only one person that comes close, and that's Aurora, and thank God she's at liberty. Right? Don't have to hear that. I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Yeah, you do. Right? That's the only person that thinks like I do. You, you don't know what people are thinking. And when you start to attach motives to people that you have no substance, no information for, or no um, facts for, you're assuming. And you are tearing, all you're doing is tearing them down. Complainers tear people down. It's half the truth. Half the truth. Now, write against Complainers are against more than they are for. In fact, complainers seem to be against everything. 80% because all statistics are made up on the spot. At least 79.35% of them. 80% of what a complainer does is just complain. They're hardly ever happy. Hardly ever happy. You might be lost and don't know it if you're constantly against things that are good. This is a party about a son that has come home. This is a party about someone that was lost and was found. And they totally missed it. And he's too busy complaining to see what's actually going on. If you are complaining, it's all about you. It's what's owed to you. That is it. Is everybody with me? So that is complaint. That's complaint. That's complaint. You start using people's names, start making accusations, start talking against what's really good. I mean, you're complaining. Here's this one. What is concern? Concern. So this is the other string. Do you write concern? Yeah. Concern. I want you to notice the father. The last part of verse 28 says, his father came out and entreated him. Right ask under that. In other words, his father's concerned because his 
older son is not doing what he's supposed to do. So he comes out to that son and he asks, he entreats, he tries to see what in the world is going on. And he goes to that person. He asks, have you ever given anybody the respect of actually going to them and asking them why they're troubled instead of running your mouth about them? Complainers run their mouth. People with concern go out and they ask. Here's number two. When the older brother who's the complainer just pounded the father and pounded the son, I want you to notice in this text, he didn't defend, so didn't defend, didn't defend against the false accusations. In fact, this is how it goes. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you've killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, the father, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. The father did not defend against the false accusations. Listen, when someone's complaining about you and it's just all false, your response to them should not be to defend the false accusations. Your response to them, if you're really concerned about them, is to try to get them to see what's really important. Look, in the father's mind, not even going to mess with that. I need to get my son to understand that his son is back home. And there's something good about that. There's something bigger going on than this guy doing all of this. So a person with concern does that. Next, the father didn't throw punches back in the direction of the son, so throw punches. He didn't defend, he didn't throw punches. Have you ever had that, that uh, situation where somebody's really, they're getting you and you, you get riled up, right? They're throwing punches in your, like word punches, just getting, and then you just let loose. I am really good. Yeah, I'm not, my wife's right behind you. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I just don't want you to think that I point that you know, that my wife's right behind me. I am really good at it. And in fact, I am very quick. I'm very quick. But the moment I start Doing that is the moment I'm no longer concerned about that person any longer. I am not showing love toward that person when I'm using my tongue to hurt them. But if I use my words to try to get them to see something bigger and something greater and something more positive, and I don't throw punches back, that shows concern and I'm no longer complaining. See, there's a knife edge difference between complaining and concern. Concern has to do with actually loving and wanting the best for the person that you're talking to. Complaint is about winning and tearing down to do it. Concern is not about winning. It's about getting people to see the bigger picture and what's better for their life. It's not about winning. Complaint is about winning. Is everybody clear? Give him a great hand, a big hand. Job, my man. Yeah. Job. Oh, did I hit you too hard? Sorry. 
Sorry about that, buddy. <clears throat> okay, so just to redo, and we're going to do one more thing. Complainers tear people down with their words. People with concern build people up. Two totally different approaches. If you have a concern, you're trying to make things better. You're trying to build people up. If you have a complaint, you're trying to just tear people down. So let's get to the last part. How can you know if you have been lost and don't know it? Wouldn't you like to know that? How can you know? How can you know? To the best of our ability, how can you know? I don't know about you, but when I was studying this, constantly on my mind is, am I lost and I don't know it? Because if you're lost and you don't know it, you don't know it. So how can you know it? How can you prevent yourself from getting there? Right? So how do you know? First of all, circumstances might bring you out of it. If you're going down the wrong road and you hit a wall and you turn around and there's nobody there and it's just you and all of a sudden you come to yourself, your circumstances themselves your, themselves might bring you out of being lost and don't know it. I don't necessarily want to get to that point that I'm that low. Because what happens is if you get to the end of your road and you're lost and you don't know it and you haven't listened to anybody, you just keep on going down and you get to the end of that road, there is a wake of hurt behind you. And to turn around at that point has some challenges. When the prodigal son came back home, there was a party for him coming back. But what I want you to understand is he never got his property back. He never got his property back. Because when you go down that road and you come back, there are consequences in this life that you just have to deal with. You made a decision, you're going to have to live with that decision. Even though you're accepted back. Even though your father accepts you back. Even though that's awesome. Sometimes there are things that we do that you cannot recover from. I'm going to give you a couple of those. The number one, you will never recover from divorce. Never. You never recover from it. People that get a divorce and they, even if they find someone else to get married to and, and they're happy in that marriage, are always connected to that first marriage. You, there are children involved. There's a relationship involved. There's always something involved with that person. And sometimes it's as brief as memories from time to time. Divorce is, is totally devastating for everybody around. And even if you get to the end of that road and you realize and you ask forgiveness, and this is great, and the Father, Father gets you back, there's some things that you just can't undo. There's just some things that you just can't undo. You just can't undo them. Though you're accepted back and you have forgiveness. Um, if you want a biblical reference, and I'm going to use this in a couple weeks too, Moses struck a rock, asked forgiveness for striking the rock in anger, and God did not let him into the promised land. Did he forgive Moses? Yeah. Did Moses go to heaven? Yes, and that is the way I want to go to heaven. I want to go to some mountain, right, and be on top of that mountain, and then God just come and take you. Wouldn't that be awesome? The next best thing to that is the rapture, I think. I think the rapture. I don't have to be on a mountain. I can be driving my car, and God bless the person that, you know. His clothes are here, but he's gone. Yeah, okay, yeah. Looking for me in the woods. 
For me, in other words, it'd be great to just be taken, but but that that doesn't always happen. You can't recover from certain things. You need to realize that. Even if you come home, there's some things you can't recover from. That is a reality. There's a reality. The important thing is that those things really, in light of eternity, want to be with Jesus. Why waste your time here away from God when you can live the next part of your life with God, serving him, and then go into eternity doing that? This is grace. This is mercy. This is redemption. This is reconciliation. You ask God to forgive you, and then he takes you, and he begins using you again. That's incredible. Do you still have that past? Yeah, but that's part of your story. Still have to cope with the consequences, but you're still forgiven, still going to heaven, because we do not lose our salvation. Next. You know you are not lost if you know you need to be sorry. Does that make sense? If you're living a life where you don't feel like you should ever be sorry for anything that you do, you should never ask forgiveness for anything that you do, you're lost and don't know it. There should be times during your week where you're doing stuff that you just feel bad about. Because we are still human, we still sin, we still have to ask forgiveness. So if you think that you never have to apologize, never have to confess, never have to do it, you're lost and you don't know it. A sign that you are not lost is if you do that. Three, look for red flags. Look for red flags. If you're upset at somebody and you're tearing them down in a personal way, you're lost and you don't know it. Look at the red flag and go back. Look for other red flags. If people are trying to get your attention and they're trying to talk to you because they're concerned about your life, listen to those people. Red flag. Right? Red flag. Listen to those people. I'll tell you this. There are some people that are crazy. Those aren't the people that are sent by God. The crazy ones are not the ones sent by God. I've had people, not in this church, but in another one, pull me aside and say, God told me for you to do this. My response is, I didn't tell me that. I know you feel like the Holy Spirit, but I'm pretty sure he's not a woman. Okay. I didn't say the last part to her. Okay. There's certain things, yeah, okay. You might be lost and you don't know if you don't listen to people. If you're not listening to people and contemplating what they're telling you, considering it as you go down your path you might be lost and you don't know it four the Lord's Prayer in fact I would have to say that the Lord's Prayer is the number one way that you can remain found and know the Lord's Prayer the Lord's Prayer starts with my Father who is in heaven already it's not about me see lost people are all about themselves the Lord's Prayer says, my Father who's in heaven, move your holiness in my life. Your holiness. Still not about me. As I walk through this life, Lord, whatever I do, I want your holiness to be seen. I want you to be seen in the best possible way. Hallowed it be your name. Make your name holy. Help me represent your name correctly to everybody that's around me. My Father who's in heaven, Make your name holy. Your kingdom come. Say that with me. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My will is not what I live for. I live for my king and his will. It is his kingdom that needs to come. It is his will that needs to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if I'm praying that every day and meaning that, Lord, I don't want my will to get in the way of yours. I want you to show me your will. I want to live for you. I want to live like you told me to in the Bible. I want to do it thick or thin where I feel like it or not. I'm going to follow that path. If you are doing that, you are found. And it's very difficult to be lost when you allow God's will to control your life. When you submit to God's authority in your life and you follow what he wants to do for your life, it's very hard to be lost. But when you live for your will and your way, you're lost. You don't know it. I don't know if you know this. No, I know it. When I'm living by my will, it feels really good. Right? But sometimes lost people feel really good before they fall off the cliff. It is God's will his way. So his kingdom come, his will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. I am not going to allow my needs to make me worry. I'm going to ask God to supply my needs. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lead me not into temptation to go astray. Deliver me from evil so I will not be astray. You're basically praying, Lord, if I'm lost and I don't know it, take me out and deliver me from that evil and bring me back to you. Do not allow me to fall back into temptation where I'm no longer following you. Deliver me from evil because thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's your focus. See, what I'm doing right now is not forever and ever. When I drive my car, it's not forever and ever. But his will is, and his kingdom is. And my focus on that allows me to be found and know it. You see, the son came back into his father's house, into his kingdom and his will and the life that he provides. Tracking? If you want to make sure that you never get lost, live by the Lord's prayer every day of your life and you will always be found and always be following the light of your strength. There's something to that prayer. It's every head bowed and every eye closed.